Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will touch on this week's developments up on Capitol Hill, the State Department, and the Pentagon. I am glad to welcome back to the podcast Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So, Shane, as always, it's great to be with you. Happy Friday and looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Dan. Great to be with you on this Friday of uh, Super Bowl weekend. Absolutely. I know we're all looking forward to the big game on Sunday. Maybe we can reflect back on the week that was, pick back up on our fiscal stimulus conversation, which has been ongoing for quite some time now. I know bipartisan negotiations continue this week, and I understand that President Biden rejected the GOP's proposal on stimulus check amounts for individuals. So I know it's very fluid, a lot of moving parts, but where do we stand on these negotiations as of today, Shane? Yeah, there are negotiations between Republicans and Democrats, but, you know, I think the reality is, is you know, President Biden's proposal of $1.9 trillion uh, and then the Republicans have proposed uh, just over $600 billion. So that's a $1.3 trillion gap between the two proposals. And that's an awfully big gap to, you know, um, narrow down and, and meet consensus on. So you see um, Democrats moving in a dual track manner uh, besides these negotiations. In both the House and Senate this week, they approved a budget resolution. Now, um, this is kind of setting the table for Democrats to move unilaterally and pass a stimulus bill with just Democrat support. Um, so this resolution starts the budget reconciliation process, um, which is the special process that allows uh, bills to just pass with a simple majority in both the House and Senate. And so what happens from here now is uh, essentially all the committees involved in this uh, Democrat-led uh, effort uh, for this stimulus bill will uh, meet next week to start um, the process of de- crafting uh, specific, detailed uh, uh, legislative proposals. And then the week after, the uh, Budget Committee will meet to package all of those together. And then the week after, the week of February 22nd, is when we expect the House to vote. And the Senate will probably end up being uh, slower during this process because, remember, next week they start the impeachment trial of President Trump, which will uh, um, uh, take up all of their time. So they'll probably be a few weeks behind the House schedule. So that really means uh, we're probably not looking until mid-March to see a bill completed, you know, if everything runs smoothly. Uh, so things are progressing, but, you know, we're just still taking the opening steps um, on this uh, pathway to the next stimulus bill. Right. Well, Shane, thank you for sharing with us what's happening behind the scenes, how this is all coming together, and what we can anticipate near term. So more to come. And you mentioned President Trump's impeachment trial. I'm sure that's a topic we'll talk about in upcoming podcasts. I do want to switch gears a bit, talk about how President Biden this week, he did visit the State Department, delivered a speech outlining his foreign policy mandates. What did the messaging consist of, Shane? What can we expect from the Biden foreign policy agenda? Yeah, this was, uh, you're correct that President Biden went to the State Department. I think this was yesterday and, and he uh, announced that America is back, you know, and kind of declared that this diplomacy is going to be a centerpiece, not only of his administration, but how he thinks 
you know, we should interact with our um, allies and some of our, uh, um, uh, some countries that are not our allies. So, you know, the way to build a stronger global community is through uh, diplomacy. So you'll see um, the uh, Biden administration really change tones from former President Trump and his vision of America first. Um, so President Biden is seeking to put uh, the U.S. back on the global stage and, you know, uh, really uh, send out the troops and, you know, and troops, I mean, those working at the State Department who will be, um, you know, those negotiators, those meeting to try and um, sit down with our allies and build coalitions. You know, I think President Biden sees some of our uh, biggest challenges like Russia and China, you know, the best way forward to to uh, address those issues is really on a multilateral level um, by engaging with our um, partners in the EU and then kind of putting uh, more pressure on, you know, Iran, China and Russia, not just the U.S., but with backing of uh, those in the global community. So this is a change of pace. And I think also him doing this at the State Department is a way to try and invigorate those working at the State Department and make them um, re-energized about fulfilling their duties. Okay. Well, Shane, thank you for the highlights there. And clearly we have a better sense now for how the president intends to carry out his foreign policy. You mentioned the troops at the State Department. Maybe we can switch gears a bit, talk about the troops who stem from the Pentagon. I know Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, he did order a military stand down this week in order to address extremism within the ranks. So what prompted this action exactly, Shane? And what does this all mean, a military stand down? Yeah, I don't think extremism is new to the military, but you've seen um, uh, in the wake of the uh, insurgency, the January 6th attack on the Capitol, um, a new highlight put it on it. And, you know, that's for a few reasons. One, if you look at those who stormed the Capitol, um, about one in five of them have a military background. Additionally, when um, the National Guard was called in to uh, protect the Capitol, about a dozen of those guardsmen were sent home because they were found to have um, links to extremist ideology or extremist groups. Um, so this has really refocused and highlighted the problem with extremism in the military ranks. So uh, Secretary of Defense Austin has uh, ordered this 60-day military standout. So over the next 60 days, um, you know, leaders within the armed branches will sit down with, um, you know, their subordinates and the troops and try and get a hold on how big this problem is and figure out next steps. I mean, I, I think you'll probably some see some people discharged and probably dishonorably discharged, but I think there'll be um, more steps than just that uh, about how to examine this problem because is this a problem where it's it's all happening in the military or does it really happen after they leave the military? Um, because we have seen reports that uh, former military members are often targets um, for some of these extremist groups. And when I say targets, I mean they're trying to rec specifically recruit former military um, people to join their ranks and in, in their extremist groups. So uh, I think that the next 60 days will bring uh, about, about um, 
multiple actions, and some of it will obviously last beyond that 60-day period. Think of this as kind of a review period to try and get a better size and handle on how big the problem is. But I think um, this is uh, going to be a meaningful development in the sense of it will lead to some real changes in the military ranks in the coming weeks, months, and years. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what comes from these investigations, these conversations, and I'm sure this is a topic we can follow up on. So thank you for the color there, Shane. Maybe one final topic we can bring up. I know Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene has made a lot of headlines this week. In fact, I believe we just heard from the Congresswoman for a press conference just a few moments ago. She did face a vote to remove her from congressional committee posts. I believe that's already transpired, but can you bring us up to speed, Shane, on what's been going on with that, and as well as the implications of this to other members of Congress in the House. I've heard names such as Ilan Omar of Minnesota, Maxine Waters of California come up in conversation as well in this context. So what's going on here? Yeah, over the, not just the past few days, but over the past few months and years, um, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene has made um, a variety of remarks, um, you know, some on social media, some to, to um, the media in general, that have caught the attention of lawmakers of both sides of the aisle. Um, these um, remarks range from, you know, supporting QAnon to uh, con- supporting conspiracy theories, such as, you know, some of these school shootings over the past few years were um, faked to uh, garner sympathy for the um, uh, those who support um, restrictions on gun ownership uh, to things about how what was the cause of wildfires in um, California. So she, there are there's a variety of remarks to cover here that uh, I don't know if I have the time to do in this in this uh, podcast. But you know these have um, drawn the rebuke of many lawmakers. And the consequence here was that yesterday the House voted and removed her from the two committees she was serving on, the House Education and Workforce Committee and the House Budget Committee. Uh, so she now has no committee assignments as of today. Um, and you're right, you know, she has already started reacting to this. Um, you know, she gave a speech before the vote was held to try and um, mitigate the damage. Obviously, that was not a, an effective speech. Um, so, but I think, you know, long term, as you're mentioning with uh, bringing up Ilhan Omar and others, is I think long term, this is very concerning for kind of the function of Congress. Um, you know, Congress, while it does have uh, a very partisan nature to it, you know, for things to happen, often it has to be bipartisan. And for Congress members to work bipartisan, often they have to fill, uh, forge relationships and build trust with each other. And uh, I think what you're seeing now is that trust and bipartisanship er- erode, and you're already seeing uh, some members of Congress call for, well, if you're going to remove Marjorie Taylor Greene from her committees, there are other members on the Democratic side, that should be removed as well. So you're seeing um, uh, the spirit of a bipartisanship really fade in these efforts. I think, you know, um, prior to this, these things, uh, these matters were handled internally, you know, by the respective parties uh, on themselves. They kind of self-policed, and there are examples on both sides of the aisle when that self-policing, 
you know, warped, we'll say, uh, where people were removed from the committees or stripped of their leadership positions on the committees. Um, so, you know, I think this is uh, concerning on a variety uh, of levels, you know, from, you know, uh, some of the things that Marjorie Taylor Greene has said, but also what does this mean for the long-term um, uh, matter of Congress and how it functions as a governing body. I think, uh, you know, this will be something that, you know, we, we have the immediate action, but reverberations of this action will probably be felt for years to come. Yeah, no, I mean, the drumbeat was very loud about this over the past week. And to your point, it sounds like there are some longer term implications here to watch out for. So thank you for sharing some background on what we've been seeing recently with this, Shane. So I know we're coming to a close at this point. So Shane, as always, appreciate your time and reflections on what has been yet another busy week in Washington. Hope you enjoy the game this coming Sunday. Do you have a favorite going into it? Uh, well, my wife is, is a Patriots fan and I think she's kind of rooting for Tom Brady in a sense. So <laughs> keep harmony. I'll probably go there. But as a, as a Mets fan, I always remember that, um, uh, Patrick Mahomes' dad was a pitcher for the Mets at one point, so I'll probably be secretly rooting for Mahomes. There you go. Well, you have a rising star and a living legend competing, so you can't go wrong either way. But, uh, Shane, great catching up with you as always, and look forward to picking back up the conversation with you next Friday. Looking forward to it, Dan, and have a good weekend. Enjoy the game. You too. Thank you, Shane. And again, today we have been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. As a reminder to our clients and listeners, please be sure to reference the latest edition of the Washington Weekly Publication, which can be located on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the Washington Weekly Publication directly. The Washington Weekly Podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes and Spotify. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.